The following is a Frank R. Wilson presentation. Welcome to where we explore the magic of music from the movies. From the golden age to present day, we've got it covered. So sit back, relax, grab a popcorn, and relive your favorite movies through music. Welcome to What's the Score? I'm your host, Frank Wilson. Let's have a look at the shelf of CDs and see what we play today. Recognize that music? It's one of the favorites of our guest today. Our guest is a, a journalist, a blogger, and a screenwriter. He's covered the film industry, and in particular, film music, for close to a decade. His uh, interviews and reviews can be uh, read online and as well as other avenues. Uh, and to be honest, he's not the most... Uh, he's not the easiest person to get an appointment with. We've challenged and gone back and forth for weeks to get time together because this guy is so busy. So I'm really delighted he's been able to join us today. I hope uh, my audience will join me in welcoming to the show Chris Hadley. Hi, Chris. Hey, Frank. Great to be on. Oh, I, I appreciate it very much. And you are a, a busy, busy guy, so I appreciate you spending time with us today. Thank you um, so much. Sure. Uh, as we start off all our programs, perhaps you can help our listeners know a little bit about yourself and just kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, growing up and the formative years and, uh, and bring us up to present day, just to, you know, kind of like the elevator speech, I guess. Right. Yeah. Well, speaking of formative years, I, I was born in New Orleans on the day of a uh, plane crash that took place. It was on July 9th, 1982. It was, Pan Am Flight 759, and that took place like an hour after I was born. I was born at three, well, not exactly an hour, but close to 15 minutes. And I know that because my parents told me the whole story about it, you know, for years when I was growing up. And I, I was born in New Orleans at Methodist Hospital. I, I grew up in St. Bernard Parish for most of my life up until Hurricane Katrina, and. Then I moved to Baton Rouge for about a year and a half. Then I moved back to St. Bernard to go um, to attend UNS Community College, where I played in a concert band for about a couple of years and so. And it was at that time, the last year I was at UNS, I started writing for Film Score Monthly, and I mainly was assigned soundtrack reviews. But my interest in film scores pretty much goes like years before that, as I mentioned before, when I was, when we were talking before you started recording, I was talking about how I was aware of Lucas Kendall's Film Score Monthly record label when they used to have a record label. And I collected some of their, their CDs, mainly one that's some, that's far out of print these days, but very valuable. And that was the uh, John Williams score of the Tower Inferno the main title of which you'll be hearing on the podcast today. 
But um, since then, I've collected, I don't really know, maybe over, it had to have been like numbering in the hundreds in terms of CDs from various labels. And as you know, Frank, there have been a lot of scores that nobody ever thought would come out that have done so in the past few years since Film Score Monthly ceased being a record label and yeah. focused on and, stick, and stuck to being a magazine. But as you, as you know, since that time, since 2013, actually, I've been covering not just, you know, doing not just soundtrack reviews, but also I've been interviewing a lot of great composers. And I think I've sent that bio information to you and you'll definitely recognize who I've talked to. It's a pleasure of mine to talk to these people and to learn about the process. And I really consider this coverage to be among my highlights of it's isn't a great it's a great time to be a film music fan i guess because of what you were just mentioning it you know the holy grail used to be you know i wish this would get released or you know why why wasn't that ever put out on a cd and yeah. lo and behold a lot of those things are coming out now and it's exactly uh and i know they're not big money makers i know who puts these things out aren't making millions but i think they do it for the love of it i mean what are your thoughts i mean I totally get that. I mean, Lucas and his people at Filmstore Monthly, when they had the record label, they did that solely for the love of it. I mean, even James Fitzpatrick, who oversees Tadlow, right. he loses money on the new recordings they do with classic scores, but he does it for the love of it. And yeah. that was something that I, that's something that I can definitely admire. And just like I cover film music and interview all these fantastic composers i do it because not only because i love their music but i love talking to them and because i love the field of film music as something that is looked at not just as something that enhances a movie or a tv show but also as a creative endeavor yeah yeah it uh, it, it it definitely tells helps to tell the story so that's uh, and w- which is it's a great segue into let's go ahead and get into some of these cues that you've uh, chosen that you like a lot. Yeah. I love your list. It's um, not a lot of current day kind of stuff, but real classic things with a variety of different styles. And we're going to start off with a goodness, a classic. I can't get much more classic than this. Uh, uh, this is a uh, an overture from a film called North by Northwest, written by Bernard Herman. I believe that's a Hitchcock film correct? yes it is T- tell us a little yeah tell us a little bit about what went into your including that on your list well having seen the film plenty of times i really i really started to explore bernard herman's music in 2006 when i was living at baton rouge i was fascinated by his scores mainly to the hitchcock films vertigo psycho and north by northwest is one of my favorites because I remember reading in his biography, which is um, a Heart at Fire Center by Stephen C. Smith, and in one of the CDs that I used to have of him in like the uh, the Phase Four CDs that he had. No one expected that the main title for North by Northwest would be a Fandango. Hmm. No one had ever heard that before, that kind of style before. Yeah when applied to a suspense film as North by Northwest is, it really, I think, defied what people expected. And the, the way he gets 
so much mileage out of that particular idea, not just in the main title, but also throughout the score, especially in the scenes with um, when Cary Grant is being pursued, and especially during the final sequence when they're on the when she's when he's trying to save um, Eva Marie Saint from James Mason on Mount Rushmore. That really Bernard Herman really got a lot of usage out of that, and he really made it expanded upon the idea in ways that I really thought were interesting and. It is one of my favorite scores to listen to, even away from the film. Terrific. Um, and, and you've chosen the overture. Well, let's, uh, let's sit back and listen to a, 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 a classic score from the movie North by Northwest. This is written by Bernard Herrmann. You're a freelance journalist and blogger, I guess you could say. Um, yes. Now, I, I think you've kind of addressed this, but it's worth asking again. Why was it that you chose the film industry to write about more so than anything else? Is that just a, a real passion of yours? It is. And not just because I'm fascinated with the film industry and filmmaking in general and the way everything works. I love this next one that you chose. You know, it's interesting. John Williams is a favorite of practically everybody. And, and I, for some reason, I'm not a huge fan. And, and the only reason why is that I usually, I don't like, I've never really connected much with his music is what I would call incidental music that happens during the storytelling. 
but his main themes, I love those usually. And you've picked one that I, that I, that I do like very much. And in fact, I had, uh, the good fortune. I, let me think, was this what I saw? Maybe it wasn't this one, but I know that this has been performed live in concert, the whole score while watching the movie. Uh, and this is, uh, the, the film is close encounters of the third kind. You chose, uh, uh, the end titles basically, uh, of the film. Tell us a little bit about your, uh, choosing that one as uh, one of your favorites. Well, there's a very personal story behind it. I mean, it goes back to my childhood. I remember watching the end of the movie, um, on this 13 inch black and white TV <laughs> at, on, on a Friday night at my grandmother's house. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was like maybe eight, nine, so to speak. But um, mm-hmm. they were, um, I think WGN in Chicago was running it one night and I just stood there. I, I didn't see the whole film and I actually never really saw the entire film until a couple of years ago. Oh, wow. But, yeah. But um, I definitely recognize the music and the first time that I saw the end sequence, I was just mesmerized by it. Oh yeah. And that's really, not hard to understand. Yes. And when, by the time it was finished, by the time the movie ended, I turned to my grandmother and I said something to the effect of, if I ever work in the film, I'm going to hire John Williams and my composer. But <laughs> in the recent, yeah, in recent years, I mean, hearing that piece again in a concertized version on John Williams' greatest hits, which was a two CD compilation that Sony put out in 2002, I mean, it really, you know, drove home to me how much, how grand and how just wondrous that whole oh yeah it's very powerful and and when you think about it it's only really based on what what is it four notes or i mean it it uh it's five notes it was the uh okay yeah yes during the dialogue cue when the uh they were playing the five notes trying to communicate with the alien spaceship so yeah it's a it's it's a brilliant piece and an excellent choice on your part let's uh let's sit back and relive close encounters of the third kind by listening to the end titles here the music is written by john williams
I think I think you had said uh, I wasn't sure I really caught it, but how did you end up uh, writing for Film Score monthly? I mean, was this a you contacted them and say, "Hey, look, I'm a writer. I'd love to do stuff for you guys," or they contacted you? Just just how did that relationship start? Well, I contacted them because I was looking for an opportunity to write for just about anywhere. I mean, I'm my love of film score is definitely added to that. And so the first thing that they had me do was review soundtracks. And I did that for about four issues in 2011. And then I resumed that in 2013 because I, at that time I had already moved to Baton Rouge and I was still trying to get adjusted to everything. And Mm -hmm. yeah, so they gave me just like a couple of classic soundtracks and current soundtracks to review. And I did that and I, and then I uh, started writing long form articles. I interviewed a lot of people, as I mentioned before, I've interviewed, uh, um, I've interviewed Lalo Schifrin, who did a album of new arrangements of his scores with Jean Michel Bernard. Yeah, I love his stuff. Yeah. Yes, indeed. I also have interviewed, as I mentioned, Nathan Barr, who did great work on the Americans for since and. I also have talked to Matt Quayle, who's on American Horror Story, Mr. Robot, and American Crime Story. I've talked to Blake Neely, who has um, scored for the Arrowverse, all the CW shows, the superhero shows, and another one of my personal favorites, um, Blind Spot on NBC. Now, I'm I'm curious, and I'm sorry to cut you off, I'm curious, all these Fabulous composers and people in the industry that you've, that you've talked to. You ever been starstruck and almost like tongue-tied because you're so in awe of who you were talking to? I mean, or- I I can't really say I've been awestruck or tongue-tied, but I've just felt so much. I've, I've, I've been honored to talk to them and to get their perspectives on how they come up with the music that they do. The, I, I've been honored to speak with them, and I... I've been really impressed by, you know, their good nature, by their knowledge, their ability to communicate through music, especially when it's committed to picture and especially when it accompanies the screen, the on-screen action that you see. Well, one nice advantage you have that that I don't have, if I heard you right, you said you played in a band, so you at least have some basic musical knowledge. Is that, yes. is that safe to say? Yeah. Yes, I do. I mean, <clears throat> I I played on guitar and I played percussion. I played snare drum. I played. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. I played bass drum. I played sleigh bells for when we did Christmas concerts. I put it. That's iconic. Yeah. So you have an understanding of it. I mean, a lot of times I say, well, I like something. I don't know musically why I like it, but right. I, but I just do. But at least, you know, one of these days, maybe I'll go and, Try to learn, you know, go to Music 101 or something. Um, your uh, your next cue that you chose is by another uh, favorite composer of mine, talking about people to talk to. I wish I could have talked to this gentleman. Uh, and this is from a film I'm not familiar with, so I'll be interested in hearing your take on this. Uh, it's, uh, I think I'm saying it right, The Salamander. Yes. Um, uh, music by Jerry Goldsmith. We're choosing a, a cue called Goodbyes and End Titles. Tell us a little bit about uh, your thinking in adding this to your list. Well, as you probably know, Jerry Goldsmith scored a lot of good films, but unfortunately, he scored a lot of bad films, and this was <laughs> one of them. Uh-huh. This was um, this came this was 
um, distributed by Lord Raid's ITC Entertainment this the year after he bombed with Raise the Titanic, which we'll be playing later. Right. And the reason I chose this is because I had the opportunity to interview Lee Phillips, who reconstructed the score for this new recording that Tadlow did in 2013. Huh. And there was a I, I really enjoyed speaking with him and with James Fitzpatrick about how it all came together. This was another instance where there was no, there was no, there were no original tapes in existence, nor was there an original score, as often happens, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So what Lee Phillips did was he had to go back and listen to the entire score by he had to reconstruct the entire score by ear and transcribe it so that the orchestra could play it. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, I, and, I, and we could, in fact, we'll talk about that in a little bit because another example you chose was that way too. But I, that just amazes me how someone can reconstruct it. And it, yes. and it sounds surprisingly accurate. Yes, it does. I mean, especially having seen the film only once and believe me, once is enough <laughs> because the film itself is, it's, it is, reputed to be an action adventure thriller but it's it's very boring it's it's like nothing happens except for maybe a car chase or what have you but it just seems like everything is just nothing but exposition i mean there's nothing that's and, really dramatic going on except for and, and sometimes exposition. yes yeah and sometimes a composer can help elevate bad material but i guess even the great jerry goldsmith couldn't couldn't impact this enough. Well, let's um, I mean, yeah, let's but, let's have a listen to this. This is a uh, from a film called The Salamander. This is a the cue is called Goodbyes in End Titles, and it's written by Jerry Goldsmith.
you've ventured into screenwriting. And you, in fact, you've already mentioned a couple of things uh, that you've done along those lines. And, and I'm familiar because I've done a couple of shorts with, uh, from your scripts. What, what kind of stories do you like to tell? I, for a long time, I was interested in writing movies. I mean, and I admit that some of my earlier attempts, I mean, they were just for fun when I was a kid because I was fascinated by a lot of the movies that I saw. And many of them turned out to be just like the movies that I saw on TV and what have you. But in, and in recent years, though, I've pretty much gravitated towards comedy because I like writing funny stories and I enjoy having a good laugh. Co- uh, writing comedy, I would... I would venture is probably maybe even more difficult than, than, than drama. Would that be yes. a safe assumption? Yes, it definitely is. I mean, I, I turned to comedy mainly because, you know, not just because I like to laugh and because I enjoy to laugh, but also because I felt that by, by watching actual comedies like sitcoms, TV shows, like movies, that kind of thing, I was starting to pick up at a level that I had not previously had before in terms of learning about screenwriting, in terms of getting better at my craft. I felt that I was you know, starting to come up with jokes of my own, even in mm-hmm. scripts that I wrote that never, that never really got off the ground. I felt yeah. that I was becoming more comfortable in writing that. But that said, it is very difficult at times to find the right joke, the right punchline. But one thing I always try to keep in mind is that the setup to a joke is just as important as the punchline. The punchline right. is basically something that subverts expectations. But having watched a lot of sitcoms, especially those that are multi-camera sitcoms, you get the sense that you know there's a rhythm there, and there's something that you know once the setup goes, and you have the punchline, and that pretty much dictates the flow of everything. Yeah. Changing gears, you uh, I, you know, I, I misspoke really in the beginning here, saying you chose mostly uh, older films and nothing really current. Actually, there is a current one you've chosen, and I have to say, you know, shame on me, I've not seen it, but I've certainly heard plenty about it. Uh, the film I'm talking about is La La Land. Uh, you uh, you chose a cue that's called Epilogue. I know nothing about Justin Hurwitz, uh, the composer of this, but. Um, Tell us a little bit about uh, your thinking on, on this particular score and, and why, it, you know, amongst all these older, more classic type films, you chose one that's very contemporary at the moment. Yes. Um, mainly, <clears throat> I chose it because not just because of my own personal memories of seeing the film the first time and seeing how the he was applied, but also because it, it, it's, it, it's, it's a score that's, given that it's for a musical, it has its own classical touches, its own classic style to it that reminds me of, you know, the more melodic stuff that, that was in scores of the past. And right. obviously, the, you know, it's a story about, you know, two people trying to find themselves creatively, but also they fall in love. And I mean, you'll see, I'm not going to spoil the film for you because this, this sequence is accompanies something that's, you know, profound and adds to, you know, the real tragedy, I guess, of the ending of the film. But um, I would say that this is pretty much my favorite you know, representation of the entire theme, how, he, how Justin Hurwitz wraps everything up 
Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's listen and take it in for ourselves. This is uh, from the film La La Land. It's uh, the cue is called Epilogue, and it's written by Justin Hurwitz. Let's have a listen.
Continuing on from uh, what you were talking about with writing comedy, I'm maybe it's a good question to ask someone like yourself, because I've seen a lot talked about uh, these days and written about it these days. Comedy is really changing, and it seems to me like it's even getting more difficult because of the PC culture. Are are you finding it that way for you, or is it not uh, had no effect? You know what I'm saying, or what I'm asking? Yes. yes I mean, I I don't believe that it's had any particular effect on me i mean i the kind of comedy i like is anything that's funny but anything but also anything that's not particularly i mean i guess offensive you know any nothing that's well today at least is right who knows tomorrow might be (laughs) right i'm just you know i'm just kidding right but offensive is in like something that's in bad taste 
I mean, I don't really like that kind of comedy. I don't like anything that's, you know, frat boy humor or toilet humor or what have you. But I mean, anything that I would, that many people would consider to be in bad taste was not something that I like to write or watch or what have you. And I think, I mean, it doesn't have to be clean. I mean, there can be some four-letter words in there, but it's not, I would rather not have something that, you know, I would cringe watching in terms well, I mean, of as a as a, for instance, would a would a Richard Pryor be popular today? I don't uh, know. Uh, I mean, you know, the Mel Brooks have, movies couldn't I, probably be made. Uh, I, I mean, there was a lot of. I mean, back then it was everything that. I mean, in the past, I mean, you mentioned Mel Brooks and Richard Pryor. I mean, those were groundbreaking at the time. But given you know the fact that. We live in different times. They, I'm not even sure if those kinds of films could be popular today, as you said. Yeah, and yet, and and, and I can't really speak for Richard Pryor, but I know in Mel Brooks's case, what he, what he was doing was making fun of prejudice and and yes. making fun of stereotypes. He, he, you know, he didn't have a, a bigoted bone in his body, I, but but. You know, I just don't know if you could. Anyway, it's interesting to kind of think about it because it really has changed over the years. And I, I was curious if it had any effect on you. Um, wow, we're going to go from comedy to outright, uh, outright horror. I guess I, I remember seeing this in the cinema, and I think it's one of the few. I can really honestly say it's one of the few times in my life that there was there was a scene in this movie that actually. It made me sit back in my seat and actually almost kind of do a little bit of a yell, which I mean that never happens. But in this movie, it did. Uh, the film I'm talking about is Jaws. Um, you've chosen a, a cue here, uh, Man Against Beast. Uh, and if you don't know by now, this was written by John Williams as well. Tell me a little bit about your uh, your wanting to include this in in your list. Well, again, this has everything to do with a personal connection. You know, my mom saw this when it was when Jaws was originally released in 1975 at the Joy Theater in New Orleans on Canal Street. She's mm-hmm. told me about that before and I've seen it several times with her, you know, on DVD and on TV and we saw it with my sister at a couple of years ago in Baton Rouge for the first time at when at the show at the uh when it was released for the 40th anniversary and it was a oh, scary okay. It was scarier than I remember. I mean, I when uh, I think it was when uh, Chief Brody and Hooper were underwater and they were like exploring, you know, like all the stuff that was underneath it. And like when they were, it was like in the first half of the movie when they had the you know, the boat and the searchlights out there and they were trying to find like the shark and when the shark actually came up, that was, that gave me a real jolt. I mean, it was, was that's, that's the reason why I feel it was a scary, it was watching it after having not watched it for a while. It was scarier than I remember. And it was something that I really, you know, it was a thrilling experience. I was very happy to see it with my mom and my sister for the first time. Yeah. Have you ever uh, heard the story or, or I think it's actually on film as well about when, uh, Spielberg sat down with Williams and, and basically, you know, basically he goes to John Williams. Okay. What do you got, John? What have, what have you kind of come up with? And he, you know, he goes to the piano and goes, dun, 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 yes. dun, dun. I've, and Spielberg goes, what? 
<laughs> that's it. That's what you've got. You know, I'm paying you these thousands. Yeah, you didn't say this, but I'm thinking I've paid you thousands of dollars to come up with dun, 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 dun. But, you know, but hey, once again, almost like Close Encounters, only only a few notes, economy of notes. But, yes. but you know, the way it's orchestrated, the way it's played and all those sorts of things it makes all the difference in the world. Let's uh, and I think it, the, the 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 main theme is also included in this cue. Yes, so let's uh, yes. let's listen to this. The cue is called "Man Against Beast." It's from the film Jaws, and written by the maestro John Williams.
it's difficult to narrow it to one, so I won't limit that. And and perhaps maybe just going through this list will answer my question. But I'm curious: are there are there a couple of composers that just uh, that you would classify as your favorites? That just about everything they do, you, know, you love it. I mean, is there are any 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 composers that kind of fit that description? Well, I mean, I can't really say that I love all of the work that my favorite composers have done, my favorite composers being John Williams, Jerry Goldsmith, Bernard Herman. But um, that's mainly because, not because I don't like all the work, but it, mainly because there are things that I have, have yet to hear from them. I haven't really, you know, investigated all the entirety of their, of their um, catalog. Well, it's insane. I'm trying to think. It's it's probably in all three cases at least a hundred films, if not more. Right. Right. It's very difficult to do. I mean, you have to really devote a lot of time to doing it. But um, I mean, I pretty much like anything that you know that appeals to me, and especially in a musical sense. Yeah. Any chance you think you could score an interview with John Williams? (laughs) That would be wonderful. <laughs> I got a feeling you might be starstruck on that one. <laughs> yes, yes, it'll be wonderful to meet him too. Well, one of our previous guests, uh, Jay Jay uh, Weagle, is uh, he feels that way about Alan Silvestri. And yes, I, and I'm I'm still going to try and figure out a way I could somehow make that happen. Not not that I carry any weight or influence. I just you know I just I research. So maybe I'll try and get John Williams and you guys to hook up. Who knows? Um, from that, we move back, actually, full circle, back to uh, the composer we started off with, and that's uh, uh, Bernard Herrmann, who was, a, I guess you might say, from the golden age of, uh, of film music. I think he originally immigrated from, from Europe. Uh, and he and, and Alfred Hitchcock, for a long time, were joined at the hip. And another one of your favorites is uh, from a film <clears throat> practically everyone has seen, I'm sure, and is certainly well familiar with, uh, in the film I'm talking about is Psycho. Um, Tell us, tell us the story behind you wanting to uh, include that in a in a in a short list of favorites. Well, first of all, I I don't think Bernard Herrmann actually immigrated from Europe. He was born in New York. Oh, okay. I apologize. Yeah, yeah that's that's fine. I mean, but um, the reason I included the rainstorm from Psycho is because I remember watching this this uh, documentary about Bernard Herrmann, this uh, BBC documentary, mm-hmm. and. The presenter, Howard Goodall, was explaining, you know, the scene where Janet Lee is driving to the Bates Motel after she's embezzled the $40,000. And he noticed that where, where one composer would typically, you know, create music that was appropriate for the scene, like something that's more light and jaunty, he, Bernard Herman created music for the entire driving sequence that was scary, that was anticipatory, that was something that instilled a sense of dread in the audience because this was literally a tipping off of the fact that something, although the audience didn't know it at the time, that something bad was about to happen to Marion Crane, who was played by Jan Lee, of course, when she got to the Bates Motel. And it's a great way, again, as was the case with North by Northwest, he took an idea and he ran with it. He, the, uh, you know, the four stabbing cords and the 
rhythmic motifs mm-hmm. in this score. He 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 got a lot of mileage out of this, and he really used it to maximum effect, especially in the in this particular sequence when she's driving the rainstorm and she ultimately arrives at the base motel. All right. Well, let's. Uh, I know people will recognize parts of this. Let's let's go ahead and have a listen to this. This is from the film Psycho. Well, the cue is called Rainstorm, and it's written by Bernard Herrmann. We uh, we're gonna wrap up our list with uh, with my favorite composer and um, someone that you know. And we were talking about that you hadn't heard every everything that they had written. You know, of your favorites. I think I literally have heard everything that John Barry has written. 
uh, either because it's available on CD or in those cases where it's not available. You know, I've, I've watched, sometimes I'll watch the films just to hear the music, but I just love this man. And I, I really thought it was interesting the cue that you chose from him because this was kind of like the, with The Salamander. This was a film that wasn't a big hit by any stretch, but I think it's one of his finest works uh, as a composer. Uh, it's just amazing. And this is another example of, in this case, it was Nick Rain who listened to the music and then started to transcribe it because I don't think there was a score or recordings that was available. And he is, he has almost perfectly duplicated what, what is heard in the film, uh, Raise yes. the Titanic. Tell us a little bit about, uh, about your thinking on this film and choosing it again, because it's, it's not a very popular film by any stretch. Well, I admit I haven't really, I have not seen the actual film itself. And oh, wow. Mainly because, okay. But mainly because of its reputation, mainly because the film is not very good. Well, like, I wouldn't say it's not watchable, but it's right, just... Right, I know, but I mean, there is a lot of, unfortunately, there is this negative mystique that still surrounds it today, even though... Right. Yes, but um, the score, as you mentioned by John Barry, it, it pretty much exceeds what is seen on screen in the story itself, but... um. As you mentioned, the reason that I that I chose this was because, again, of the whole lost tapes issue. It, it was fascinating and I mean, unfortunate, but Nick Rain did a, a tremendous job of conducting and and um, reconstructing this score when he had very little to work with other than the film itself. And as he did with the Salamander, Nick Rain conducted it beautifully and. The recording is superb. Yeah, I'm, uh, so I'm I'm really delighted you chose this one, if for no other reason, because it's not something a lot of people have heard. But you'll you'll get a chance to hear some of the uh, the main themes that were developed throughout the entire movie. The cue is called "Thank God for Southby in the Graveyard" and end titles. If you haven't seen the movie, you you won't know what that "Thank God for Southby" is about. But uh, if you get a chance, you should check it out. It's not. It was actually a pretty popular book. The film is certainly watchable. It's serviceable. Uh, it, it's very slow, but just because of the nature of the story. But I think you'd enjoy uh, listening to the score. So let's listen to it for ourselves. Again, the film is called Raise the Titanic, music written by John Barry.
Well, Chris, as we start to uh, to wrap up, I'm curious what's uh, what's in the future for you right now. Do you have uh, anything in the pipeline or things that you're working on that uh, would be of interest to our listeners? Well, I have actually started a podcast of my own called the Viewfinder Podcast. It's yeah. a podcast that is devoted to indie film. I launched it a couple of weeks ago on the uh, Internet Archive, and I've actually expanded it to several other platforms, mainly Anchor, and through Anchor, they've distributed it to Stitcher and Spotify and hopefully iTunes in the coming future, and I have some, I have another episode planned for this Friday, but it pretty much, the releases for these um, interviews pretty much depend on when I schedule them, and I really, most of my work is writing, as you can well imagine, so that takes precedence, but I do get the opportunity to speak with independent filmmakers and actors about their projects, and I definitely look forward to sharing this podcast with everyone as it grows and as the guest list continues to grow. Yeah, there's there's a very vibrant independent filmmaker community here in South Louisiana, so you're in a you're in a real hotbed for that. So I think that's a that's a wise choice to to focus on that as a as a topic. Uh, again, the uh, the the podcast is called what now? Just to make sure everybody heard it. It's the Viewfinder Podcast. Okay, uh, and it focuses on uh, on independent filmmaking. I think you, uh, he's already uncovered some great guests that I think you'll find really fascinating. So I ask you to check that out. We'll uh, we'll try and post some information on our uh, what's the score Facebook page about it if you're interested in pursuing it further. Um, Chris, look, I, I, I really thank you a lot. You are a very busy fellow, so I know it took a lot to to prepare for the broadcast as well as uh, finding time to be able to sit and chat. So I'm, I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you so much, Frank. It was my pleasure. Oh, yeah, I hope you enjoyed it. I did. Very good. Well, that's going to about wrap it up for us. Um, more episodes will be upcoming. I already have a, a good list of people that I think you'll be interested in as well. I'll keep working on that, and we'll keep asking you to, t- to tune in as we uncover more episodes. So my thanks to all of you for listening. There's only one thing left to say. Thanks for listening to What's the Score.